0: Hi, right, people. we back back. Victory Invices podcast. Me, Rory Spooner, James Veck and Rhys Henley. We've got all the news and views. Big shout-out to all of our subscribers, again, that have uh, you know come over to our YouTube channel and uh, sort of followed us. We really appreciate it. And to everybody that liked the video, YouTube gave me the analytics and the roundup. We had roughly around 1,000 hours of watch time this year. Uh, it was over 300 new subscribers, and I think it was about 30-plus thousand views, give or take. So it's been a great year for us. We appreciate you all. We love you all. And long may I continue. So, to the latest news then, because you know that's what we do best. Um, I'm going to start with uh, Moises Casado. Me and Vicky are going to chat about this one quick as it's Big Man United news that came out today. Now, I browse Twitter regular for Manchester United, the United fan. And I'm always looking at transfer stuff, much to Reese's dismay, because Reese hates the transfer window and he hates everything that goes with it.
1: Am I right, Reese? It's just called being a Newcastle fan.
0: It's called being a Newcastle fan. But being a United fan, it's actually quite exciting. So I was clicking through, and weirdly, a lot of people, a lot of United fans were retweeting sort of um, an Ecuadorian journalist, which is not something I thought I'd see. So anyway, I clicked on the account, and they're all chatting about this kid, Moises, uh, I think, yeah, Moises Casado. that's how it's pronounced. So I click on the profile, and I'm right. okay, let me go away and do a bit of research on this guy. So he's playing in Ecuador currently for Independiente. He's worth roughly around 10 million, give or take. Um, apparently, and again, I know very little of him, because I'm only going to off offer YouTube clips. He is part of what they're calling Ecuador's golden generation. So this generation is tipped to be the best national team that Ecuador have ever had. And he's sort of at the forefront of it. Now, United in the past have been criticized on missing out on a lot of, you know, a lot of talents that have come out of South America, you know. You're on Nines, you're on Robinho, when he was, you know, went to Man City, people were like, well, why didn't United get him? Juan Altinos a big one as well. So, Alistair has recently joined from Uruguay. It's looking like Casado could join from Ecuador. Um, again, 10 million. Uh, he's a very good prospect by all accounts. Becky, I just wanted your take on it. If that was to be the only signing United make in January, would you be okay with that or would you be a little bit underwhelmed?
2: Um, I think it really depends on on what's available, you know. Because January is typically a difficult um, period to to bring in anyone of note. Mm. Um, so you have you have to ask who is available first of all, and if nobody really is available um, of any real proven quality, then there's you know, there's no harm in looking down that sort of avenue of a, um, a young player that looks to have a lot of potential. Um, you, you mentioned about United having missed out on um big talents that have come out of South America in the past. Um, you named a few Obviously, You look at Neymar, um, mm. you look at um Gabriel Jesus, and both of them come out of Brazil. Um, and and you know they've gone to do very well. So um I definitely agree, you know, it, it is um an area of the, the world that from a scouting uh, point of view, United probably should tap into a bit better. Um and having sort of sort of looked at him um he's been talked up as I, I you know i do laugh when they make these comparisons they compare him to other players he's you know they're, they're saying that he's um part pogba was it part kanté Kante. yeah yeah yeah, yeah yeah blah 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 blah. which you know we we know that that's not going to be the case but it, you know if you, if if you look at him he he, does, he is a bit of a hybrid kind of midfielder but looks of it mm. um box to box with some pace um some um, athleticism defensive ability um, and you we know, say in all this but we go back to he's, it's obviously just potential at the moment he's done doing a lot of things for um, Ecuador at a young age which is obviously great um, but to bring that background to your initial question would, would I be happy if that was just to sign him um, probably not but again if there's nobody else available sometimes you have to take a punt on these kind of players because if you don't they probably end up with someone like Barcelona or Madrid potentially and and, you know, and we know how that can go. So. Mm,
1: yeah,
0: it's interesting. Sorry, go on, Reece.
1: I had a thought on this. I mean, <laughs> the thing that surprises me with Man United fans um, getting so excited about this uh, on the socials is that it would appear that they're falling for the same old rubbish all the time, right? Even if it is true. Right? And that is a big if. Because Man United, as we know, are linked to every man and his dog every transfer window. So even if this is true and they go ahead and they sign him in his 10 million pounds, they keep falling for the same old rubbish. This is my it's transfer, transfer strategy that they have had for pro, ever since Alex Ferguson left. They always go for what is perceived as the cheap option.
0: Mm-hmm. You look
1: at the top, top young talents in the world. You look at, um, over just over the last 12 months, people like Gio Reyna, um, well, I'm going to name Dortmund players, Haaland, um, Sancho, all these players of that type are the front runners of the younger generation in, 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 you know, in the senior game at the moment. And United are kind of saying, well, actually, we don't want to spend the money on those. Yeah, you can talk about Jaden Sancho. He's a little bit older, but they wouldn't pay the money for him. Ultimately, that's what it came down to. Mm. Um, and they wouldn't pay the money. And they are missing out on the. Front runners, the, the top talent at that age and so they are trying to dip into a market where it is cheaper but also where it is more unproven and um and inevitably more of a gamble yeah um so they could invest 60 70 million into a proven top quality youngster um like they could have done with Erling Haaland last year and they chose not to um and they chose not they again they chose to by people like Diallo, they ch- chose to be by, by people like Polistri. Uh, they, they're linked to this Caicedo guy. Um, I would be surprised. I mean, eventually, they've got to sign one who turns out to be good. Um, but in order to do that, the player that they sign needs to be good enough to, within a short space of time, get into that starting 11.
0: That's
1: hmm. the only way a young player can develop. Yeah. And so if they keep if they keep signing players who are unproven, they're either going to sign someone who's not good enough, or they're going to sign someone who could be good enough but isn't good enough to be in their squad now. Um, so that'll be the worry for me.
0: Yeah, I suppose those are the chances you take. You know, United tried for Haaland... Ultimately, he felt Dortmund was a better option. You're right, Reese, they bottled it with Sancho. They couldn't afford it. They said, no, we won't do it. Bellingham, he was like, no, no way, I'm going to Old Trafford at 17. It's just not the right move. So United have tried, but they've been unsuccessful. Diallo seems to be the big one. Me and Vecchi did a podcast um, right after Diallo was signed. And I um I said to Vecchi, I was like, I don't know about Diallo. That's That's a lot of money to invest in a young kid. But when you talk about the best young players in the world, in what is predominantly the best sort of youth competition, which is the UEFA Champions League, the sort of the junior version, Diallo was the best player in that league. So United went and got him and they're taking a chance. I mean, that's, that's about as much as you can do, really. You can't really do you know too much else.
1: No, yeah. I, I, and, and sometimes... When you, I mean, look, they have paid a lot of money for that Diallo guy, thirty-five million pounds, I think it is. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: and that could that could work out. Um, personally, before United were linked to him on deadline day, no one had heard of him. Um, and I think that would be worrying because he's not making he's not making the headlines in, in the top at the top level. He might be doing it, you know, Baby Champions League, like I said, and that's always a good indicator. But you always see those players who make it at England under mm-hmm. twenty ones. And they don't do it at senior level I mean you look at newspaper clippings from 10 years ago this is going to be our lineup at the 2016 World Cup and how many players of those are even playing league football yeah, so yeah. it's not always a great uh, predictor um, but look like I said most of the time you sign the cheap option talking about Casado now you sign the cheap option most of the time it doesn't go up well. sometimes it can go up well. and I guess that's that's the hope isn't it
0: yeah, that is the hope. Yeah, you you sort of dip in and you go, okay, right. We'll we'll go with this guy. We've seen enough. Let's pay the money. And if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, well, you know, it's only ten million. You'll probably recoup most of it anyway. Um, just to touch upon something very quickly, lads. I was going to message you this the other day, but I didn't get a chance. Um, a very interesting subject that I saw. You may have seen me tweet someone actually. Um, I don't know if you saw it on my uh, on my sort of Twitter feed. But automation is slowly creeping into every every sort of corner of life, so to speak, and it's even come into it now, so it's interesting that you touch upon that, Reese, because the Daily Mail were looking at transfer targets uh, for, you know, sort of the big six clubs, so to speak, and they used um, a piece of software called the AI Abacus. Now, I don't necessarily know how it works, um, but the AI Abacus basically analyzes Um, You know, football players, their strengths, their weaknesses, what they're good at, what they're not good at. Um, And you can bundle in a ton of footballers into this. And it sort of comes out as a graph. And it'll tell you in that graph, who is the best fit. For, um, for that club and who that player will play well alongside. So uh, I'll try and send you the link later when I get a chance because it's a really good read. So, for example, Spurs, they said the striker that would be best to replace Harry Kane using the AI Abacus was Brilham Um, So brelan Bolo was the striker they were looking at. Um, Julian Brandt, they said, at uh, Dortmund was a better fit than Jaden Sancho um, at Manchester United. Uh, for Liverpool, uh, Upamecano, they said, was a really good fit as well, using that abacus. So I'll try and send it to you, lads, but that um, potentially may change the way big clubs like Manchester United scout a Diallo or scout a Casado. So it's um it's very interesting. But um going back to transfers, Reece, obviously we can't forget you. Newcastle. Reese's Newcastle video is coming out, by the way, and it is very, very good. So Newcastle fans, keep an eye out for that on the uh, the channel because it is a, it's a belter. Um, the um, the transfer news, which is also slightly Man United related, was uh, Phil Jones and Marcus Rojo. Phil Jones gives you know people nightmares. He's like fucking. He is nightmare on Elton Street. The guy is. Uh, I feel bad for him, but at the same time, I'm just thinking, you know, Phil, you had your chance. You know, you, you fucked it up a million and one times. If one of those was to join Newcastle, Reese, does that fill you with joy or does that fill you with dread? How do you feel about that?
1: Well, I don't believe there is a way to answer that question without going into the bigger problems at Newcastle. And I promise I will not mention the takeover. That is a promise that I'm gonna make you. I'm not gonna mention it. Um, yeah. everyone's sick of it, including myself. Um with any sign in Newcastle make, you know, they could Pretty much, pretty much any realistic target Newcastle could name. Um, I think that it, they would likely be, you know, nothing to write home about. And that's not because they're not good enough. Because I imagine if you put these players in the right team, in the right setup, then they could thrive, in, in theory, like any footballer. Um, there is a bigger problem at Newcastle at the moment. And... I think there's a lot of people out there who might disagree. People who don't necessarily follow um, the, the the games of, of, and the matches of Newcastle uh, as closely as perhaps they could. But certainly, Newcastle fans are starting to unite now in the opinion that Steve Bruce simply is not good enough for the club. Um, and, and and the reason I'm mentioning this when you asked me about the question about Jones or Rojo is the fact that. The style of football that Newcastle play under Steve Bruce um, is not the type of style of football that I believe any footballer could thrive in. And so whilst I could sit here and and answer your question and say, I think Rojo is indisciplined and with not a great deal of defensive ability. um, And I think that Phil Jones is clumsy at at best um, and even somehow managed to be past it without even... Get into the peak of, of his own performance at any point, as well as you know you can talk about injuries and things. Newcastle's centre halves are probably the only position that they don't need to strengthen significantly in the short term. Um, the style of football that Newcastle play, any footballer would struggle in. Any footballer who would be a defender would be essentially asked to play as a sweeper. Um, in today's game, the centre halves tend to play as a two or a three, um, and if if they're playing as a three then generally there will be one sweeper with essentially the two centre-half things, a right-back and a left-back, which allows your full-backs to bomb on as almost uh, impromptu wingers. That tends to be the system in the modern game. But with Newcastle, they tend to be pinned back so far in their own half um, that that simply wouldn't be realistic. And any player that would be joining them would have to completely redesign their tactical approach to any game. And I don't think there's any footballer in the game at the moment who would be able to... To stand out. So no, I don't think Phil Jones and, and, and Mark, uh, Marcus Rojo would be any good. come um, for Newcastle. Might be good for other teams. Personally, I don't think Newcastle needs centre-halves.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but I don't think any footballer would, would, would strengthen them significantly with Steve Bruce.
0: Yeah, the interesting thing about Jones is I don't really know a club that would take him on. Um, Steve Bruce, obviously ex-centre-half ex-Manchester United centre-half, would probably look at someone like Phil Jones. Not as an upgrade on what's there, but I, I don't even want to say he'd get starstruck by a Phil Jones, but I think the pedigree that he would have coming from a big club, somebody like a Steve Bruce would kind of think, oh, okay, yeah, we could use that. But uh, will he even be in charge long enough, though, Reese, by the January transfer window coming round? Because no. I, I noticed the tide turning on Twitter a lot. But again, Steve
1: Bruce this weekend. Yeah, I think there's been a lot of hangers-on there There's a lot of people in the camp that says Let's give Steve Bruce a chance um, And he always said Judge me by results And fair play if we, were, if we judge him by results alone Then we would have to say that he's done an OK job mm. However, Newcastle fans don't, They're not happy enough To stay 17th in the league every year you know, Surviving relegation for a Newcastle fan Should be a given you know, in a 52,000 capacity stadium with the margins that club makes, it is not enough to say every season, let's avoid relegation. So, really, what you need to see is progress on the pitch, off the pitch, everywhere. Their style of play is boring, would be one word. Um, but as we've seen in the Fulham game, in the Leeds game, it's not effective. And in order for Newcastle to get results, they have to rely on a piece of luck. For example, a penalty that should never have stood against Fulham and a red card that should never have been given, and they still couldn't convert that into a win at home against the side of a second bottom. Um, There are are whisperings of of discontent, like you said. Um, I think Newcastle fans are starting to unite, like I mentioned, um, in their opinion of Steve Bruce. Uh, He is not the man to take them from where they are now to where they want to be. And all they want to be, they don't need to be a team that You know, finish the top six. They only they don't they they obviously obviously they want to stay up, but they want to be a team that entertains. That's it. That's the DNA of the club. You you take that back. You know, from from where Mike Ashley joined, we were a side that could entertain, could bring that style of football, could produce the players that the city could fall in love with. It's a city that you know eats, sleeps, breathes football, and they're just becoming so disillusioned with it. They just need something to perk them back up. Um, and then obviously then you've got the Twitter rumours come out which do around the time that a manager loses his job you start to see certain things align obviously they lose you know Twitter Twitter's you know Bruce out trends all this kind of thing the results follow and then you start to see those stories coming up like LaSelle's has argument with manager he's been dropped Alan St Maximin apparently has had a massive argument with Steve Bruce because the style of football doesn't allow him to be in the game essentially I don't I don't think there's anyone who watches football that wouldn't acknowledge that Alan Maxson is one of the best wingers in the Premier League, but just is not allowed to show that at all because he's playing essentially as an impromptu wing-back. Mm. Um, and, of course, these stories are coming out now. These players have fallen out with Steve Bruce. He's lost the dressing room. Before long, it'll come out saying, you know, he's been summoned for talks, X, Y and Z. And I don't think it'll be too long because I don't think Steve Bruce has the tactical nous. Um, or the ability to be brutal, to to actually form a style of football that Newcastle fans will ever be proud of. Yeah. Um. And so you know that might might be harsh, but I I think it's true. And so I don't think it, he can ever escape it. I don't think he can ever win the popularity of the fans. Um. So I think that's that. Really, I, I think he will get sacked inevitably. Um. It'll all just be a case of when the Newcastle board say, okay, enough enough is enough. When his luck runs out and the results don't come, he won't have the style of play and the and the idea that, oh, we deserve to win that game because we've not deserved to win many games. He won't have anything to fall back on, nor will he have a squad that particularly likes him or likes his style of football. It's a fact for you guys. And I mentioned this to James. If, If Newcastle had beaten Leeds, of course they didn't. They didn't turn up. They didn't try to beat Leeds. They they shipped five. Um, If they had beaten Leeds, it would have been the first time in Steve Bruce's 20 year managerial career that he would have put three wins back to back. And he still didn't manage to achieve that. Um, And I think that tells you all you need to know.
0: Sad times, bro. Sad times. Do you know? um, I don't know if you saw it, lads, on Twitter, but uh, a certain Warren Barton uh through his uh through his hat in the ring and said i'll be newcastle manager because that's the one thing i know is reese over the weekend was the bruce out brigade got significantly bigger and warren barton was ironically at the forefront of it as well he was retweeting a lot of um a lot of things confirming that you've said Reece, that you know know about bruce and, and mike ashley and various other things so yeah we'll keep an eye on it because it's interesting but um Jones or Rojo, if they do end up at uh, at Newcastle. Thanks for the money, Reese. Anyway, moving on. I
1: want to get your I want to get your guys' opinions on it because it is from the inside looking out. It seems quite clear. You know, it seems really you know, pardon the pun. It seems really black and white. Um, It it seems really simple that if you're getting lucky results and you're not playing well and you don't make any progress, then is there a is there a point carrying on in that way? Why um, do you mean with Bruce? With Bruce specifically, yeah. I mean, Becky, I'll let you take this one. On.
2: Yeah, well, I, I was laughing at myself. You know, you, you give Reese an inch, he takes a mile. You know, we, we asked him about Rojo and Jones transfers, and we've gone <laughs> into a full podcast. But um, I'll run with it, right? Um, Reese knows my opinion. Um, Spooner, I, I think, Sam, as you, you must leave your phone for, for half an hour, come back to 352 WhatsApp messages. Yeah, the, I do. Every, at least it. once a day. At least once a day. Um, yeah. Um, Rich understands my view on it. Um, I gr- He's in Newcastle fan, so he's far more frustrated with it than I obviously am. Um, from from a, a non-Newcastle supporter, um, I am of the opinion to an extent that like Steve Bruce said, judge me on results. And as Reese said, if you do judge him on results alone, then he has done an okay job. Um, it, I, I think it, it's it's difficult because there's there's a lot of fans of other clubs who would like to be in Newcastle's league position that play better football than them. So when you look at it from that way, <laughs> you, do you know what I'm saying? It, it's like that. From a results, it is a results game is football sometimes, and he has done alright in that respect. But like Reese said. When his luck, I suppose, or his results don't go the way that they are for him. Because every time he needs a result, he tends to get it. um, And their league position makes him look better than what they are. But I I do think, like we said, over time that that will start to disappear. um, And his results um, will dwindle. And when they do, um, he doesn't have an awful lot of anything else to go in his favour. Um, He doesn't play attractive football, he's not an expansive manager, um, and he doesn't seem to possess a lot of tactical ability or awareness of how to play against certain teams in the Premier League. Reese mentioned that stat, um, he's never strung three wins together, um, which is appalling, because you just think most managers would have at some point in their career, especially over 20 years. So. Um, oh, but he also has he he
1: the lowest win ratio of any manager in the Premier League
2: ever. I, I think it, his his time will run out um, fairly soon. Um, but my my opinion, on, on results, he's, he's done pretty well. But I, I think uh, that will run out for him. And when that does, I, I think it's curtains.
0: Yeah, just to touch upon what you said, lads. He is very much what I would call um, a pound land option. He's the cheap option, you know. They've not gone for the uh, for the WH Smiths, uh, you know, cooked meat. They've gone for the 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 sort of Harry Bear ham in the back of fucking B&M. So that's what it is. We know what Newcastle have done. And they're kind of in a weird position where, where do you go next, I suppose? Because ultimately, this kind of little merry-go-round that exists, where you have Allardyce, Pardew, Pulis, uh, you know, and all all these other types of lads, they kind of just go, okay, you leave this club, I'll join this club. Okay, you leave this club. Okay, well, I'll join this club. Newcastle have been to most of them. Like, I mean, you know, realistically, the next step is Tony Pulis, I don't know if
1: you want that. Seems fact that came up, but like, like I mentioned, Bruce is the lowest win ratio of any manager that's played, been, been manager for fifty or more games. The lowest. But I think if you look at the bottom five in in the last decade, Newcastle have had four of them. So, so what you're saying is spoon is exactly right
2: yeah yeah. can I just throw a name in the hat before we we'll tie this up I just want to ask, ask you a name of someone would you take as an ex-Newcastle manager race um, what about Eddie Howe
1: oh I mean I, I I don't care who the manager of Newcastle is I just want them to bring a, a style of football that's enjoyable they don't need to get results they don't need which Eddie Howe would do yeah oh, I'd take anyone you don't understand we picked Steve Bruce up about 12th in the championship there was a reason why he was there Um, I think literally you could talk about anyone, Graham Potter not doing well at Brighton, I'd take him over Steve Bruce I had a dream last night that we had Alan Pardew and he replaced Steve Bruce and I was annoyed but it was still an improvement So um, Careful what you wish for Reese, let me tell you You do have to be careful what you wish for We'll see because Newcastle, I mean, I'm not going to mention the takeover, but with the lack of ambition that they show, they're not going to want to get anyone who's going to demand investment, somebody who's going to demand ambition. Um, so it is going to be one from that carousel. What
0: can you do? Yeah, yeah, there is very little you can do. We'll tie it up there. Um, Reese, take a breath, have a minute. I know, I, I, I know how much you hate Steve Bruce because you text us at least once a day, once a day, telling us.
1: It is true, I, you know, uh, my therapist says I definitely have to, to do that as well and keep doing it So um, mm-hmm. it's the only way I can survive uh, we will, that... um, No, it's fine, we'll,
0: we'll continue to be your crutches, it's okay, it's yeah. no problem uh, so but I,
1: I, know, I know Newcastle fans will, will take comfort in seeing, uh, I mean obviously we're not professional pundits But I suppose we're armchair pundits, they'll take comfort in seeing people not defending him uh, all the time So yeah, yeah. people need to be criticised
0: Yeah, no, true. Very true. Um, Going back to uh, another topic we discussed before we came on very briefly was uh, Mohamed Salah. Now, I'm thinking me and Reese might have touched upon this um, previously in the podcast. Liverpool have a cycle of, give or take five or six years where they can keep that sort of core group of players together um, and and be very successful without having to transition into another manager, another younger team, um, and they can go on uh, and make a bit of history. They're about halfway through that point now, and the Salah to Madrid rumours started. Um, Be interesting to see what happens with Messi next summer, if he does stay with Barca or if he goes, because if he does go, the logical replacement is Salah. Now, I don't think Barca would be able to afford him, given... Um, their current financial sort of predicament. But the um, the chat was Mohamed Salah to Real Madrid. He gave an interview, which I think a lot of it was potentially maybe misconstrued, but he did say, you know, look, I've ambitions of maybe playing there one day, and it's, it's a move that interests me. Um, if Liverpool lads were to win the Champions League again, or to go on and win the Premier League, do you think Salah would turn around and go? Okay, right. Well, I've kind of done everything I've, achieved, I've wanted to achieve now, and let, let's let's do something different in twenty twenty one.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, is he going to be at Liverpool for the rest of his career? I don't think so. Just because that is such a rarity nowadays, and it's not mm-hmm. like he's from the area. But he does seem to engage with them. He's engaged, he engages engages with the fans, and he likes the club. He likes where he is, mm-hmm. and more than anything else, he plays in he plays in a team that allows him to be the best player he can be. Um, If he was to achieve those things again this season, he's going to look at next season as his options. And those options are realistically Real Madrid, who are very much in transition. They're holding it together, but they are in transition. Um, And Barcelona, who are having a complete meltdown at the moment. Um, And so he might look at it and think, it's not the right time to move to those clubs. Um, But I don't think... One one thing you'd have to say about Salah is he is in the Messi mold. Um, in, in you know he's not, obviously not good and he's got not as good as Messi or anywhere near as good as Messi was in his peak. Um, but he is in that mold. He's a certain you know he plays in a certain way, and I've said that for a long time. Um, and he's world class. He, he's in on his day. He's in the top five players in the world, and those days come around quite often. Um, so you know he is deserving of any move. But Liverpool don't need to sell. Um, they have no financial issues that, that I know of that that means they need to sell. Um, he gets on with everyone. He doesn't want to leave at the moment. So why, you know, why leave? It's not the right time for him. Uh, that's my opinion on it.
0: Yeah. What do you reckon, Becky? To it. Um,
2: yeah. So with Real Madrid, um, it, it is often the case that players especially the foreign players that have come to the premier league that excel a lot of them are often tempted by that madrid or barcelona move at some point um especially as salah well you say you know if he goes on to win the league and champions league again he's already won the both of them so he's already ticked those off So it's not like he's staying to help them achieve something they haven't achieved already I'm sure you know he's, he's obviously there now, and, and if they were to win it again, then, then obviously that would be great for them and for him. But Real Madrid, as we know, are in a transition. Um, like we said, they are keeping it together um, better than what Barcelona are, especially in La Liga. And I feel I'm getting vibes that Real Madrid, either this year or next year, are going to be looking for one of those big names again. They might be going to be going through a cycle where yeah. they are going to poach for two or three really big names, they kind of tried to do a little bit. But the season they signed was it um, Luka Jovic and yeah, was Jovic, it Hazard yeah. Actually, yeah. And, yeah. And as well? hasn't quite hasn't quite gone to plan. So they are due another one of those little splurges again. And I I, I do think that obviously not this year, but possibly next year, Salah could be at the top of their shopping list. Um, they've always got money, Madrid somehow, whether it's through the government or th- through places, they They've always got money, so. I could 100% see Salah go in there um, within 18 months, sort of uh, time frame, because Suarez, you know, he left Coutinho, he left I, those players. They just they just like to move on at some point, and uh, mm. I, I could definitely see him wanting to play in Spain at some point. So um, that transfer for me that does happen at some point, but not yet. Yeah, the general consensus
0: with those types of players you touched upon, Becky, <clears throat> your Suarez, your Coutinho's, people like that, they kind of fulfil their obligations and then go, OK, let me get that one last big move. And I think Salah's got one big move left in him. I'd be very surprised if it didn't happen. I think a lot of it boils down to how Salah perceives himself as a Liverpool player. When Salah was at, um, at Chelsea initially, he very much underachieved. People were expecting much more of him. When he went to Roma, he did well. And people thought, mm, OK, fair enough. I mean, look, let's see how he does. And at Liverpool, his stats have been phenomenal. So Salah might even look at that Liverpool team right now and go, well, you know what? When I came, I never actually expected any of this. And maybe Salah, as it's, as, I don't know, you know, he seems like a relatively humble guy. Maybe he looks at that Liverpool side and goes, I've massively overachieved you. I never anticipated any of this maybe just maybe he didn't even think he would do the numbers he's doing
2: the so. question he's going to ask himself essentially is he's at that stage of his career now over the next 12 months where do i want to be a liverpool legend and just stay here and possibly break as many records as possible or do i engineer that last big move and see mm-hmm. if i can prove myself in la liga um i think that's only the, the two sort of ways he can go now yeah. Not bad ways to go. there was fantastic ways yeah, yeah. to go. But I think was
1: option. If I'm if I'm, if I'm Osala personally, um, I don't think that I would leave. I mean, in, unless there was a realistic prospect of playing in a team with Prime Messi, um, because that's really where he, you know the, the the only way he can elevate his game now is to learn the things that he is missing from Messi. Um, I don't think there's any point in moving otherwise um, there's so much money coming towards the Premier League at the moment and as we've just seen um, in France they've lost a huge TV deal yep. um, that could happen to the other European leagues uh, with coronavirus there's a lot of uncertainty Liverpool are at the top at the moment they are at the top he is the main man in that team um, and the amount of money that he could if, he's, if he is you know smart him and his agent could work out deals with not only Liverpool, but also you know the media, advertisements, and things like that, he could cash in big time. Big time. He could be mm-hmm. on the most money of any footballer in the world in two years' time, if he continues to do the numbers that he's been doing. And, and your, your comment about whether he thinks he's overachieved and, and what have you, I'm not sure I necessarily buy it. You look know how many times he shoots during a game. He is... Admit he probably would admit he's quite selfish on a football pitch, and it works for him. It doesn't strike me as a man who doesn't have a huge amount of confidence in his own ability. Um, mm. I would be surprised if he moved on at any point in the next two years. Yeah, we'll
0: see how it evolves. It's definitely it's definitely interesting. At some point, that front three has to break up. So, if you were logically going to say who would go first i would probably i would say sala but i suppose again covid has thrown a spanner in the works barcelona financially i mean jesus you wouldn't want to be barcelona on a good day and Real Madrid, well, we all know Real Madrid will get bailed out, but yeah, Barca are in a really sticky spot, um, but yeah, that's Salah to uh, to potentially Madrid or, or Barca, or maybe even Bayern Munich, depending on what he wanted to do, so Liverpool fans, get in the comments and let us know, because I know a lot of Liverpool fans um, are big on Mbappe joining at some point, so I'd be interested to hear what they've got to say, um, moving on to um, a slightly, maybe more controversial topic, one I wanted to bring up for a few weeks now, lads, and um, I wanted to kind of do it while we were all here, was the uh the Black Lives Matter movement. Now, it's an interesting debate. And what I witnessed, it's difficult to it's difficult for me to put into words what I witnessed when I saw the Millwall fans booing players that were kneeling for Black Lives Matter. So, Millwall fans, for those of you who don't know, unless you've been living under a rock, I think there were other clubs that maybe done it as well, but it was predominantly Millwall, where they were playing a league game, uh, the opposition team, they uh, took a knee for, you know, racial discrimination, uh, Millwall war fans booed. And that was a the subject then to to massive debate on Twitter. Um, and it, it was a very interesting discussion. And I didn't necessarily want to rule anything out. I ha- I have my opinion on it. We, um, you know, Becky, you can give an opinion as well if you want. I just wanted to get your take on it. When you see sort of, fans booing? Do you understand why they boo or do you think yourself is it necessary?
1: I think I understand where they are coming from Um, I don't necessarily agree with it I think perhaps when I saw what happened I thought that was maybe a little strong Uh, and especially I thought it was strong for the footballers to then uh, some footballers on Twitter then came out and uh, called their own fans racist Mm -hmm. um, for doing so and I think that with the Millwall fans, especially without trying to tie them all with the same brush, there are issues of that kind within their fan base. Um, mm. I think that, like I said, it is a bit strong um, to, to boo it. Uh, but I also understand the um, the frustration of having a political agenda forced on you by the, essentially the social pressure of, of not kneeling. Mm. Um, I think that there is a distinction isn't there and and I think to to people like ourselves there are people out there members of the black community who maybe will shun us for three white men talking about it Um, but the black lives matter movement is a political agenda and racial equality is a separate issue altogether Mm -hmm. Um, so but the way I would probably sum up the kneeling as far as uh, as as I as I internalize it, is as a white man, if I had a child, and my child was playing football with me in the garden, um, and that child then kneels, uh, because 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 children imitate things that they see on, on the pitch. They imitate celebrations, they imitate skill moves, and they inevitably kids do and will imitate the kneeling and the, the fists in the sky, that kind of thing. And perhaps they might go, you know, Dad, why why are they doing that? You know, I've done it now, but I don't know why I've done it. And then that mm. gives the opportunity for the parent to educate their child on on, on the history, or you know, why that's a thing um, and why it's being done and the underlying fundamental problem within society. And so yeah. there is, I guess... That idea that if this was to go on long term, then those conversations could happen, that awareness could be raised. And I guess the main barrier to the ongoing problem of racism is the lack of education um, at at a younger level. So I have no problem with it, but I would understand why the the idea of the political agenda of the Black Lives Matter movement uh, can irritate people.
0: Yeah, I'm with you on that. I, I put a comment on Twitter and it was something along the lines of, when let's, let's use Luke Shaw in his example. When Luke Shaw takes a knee on that pitch, is he doing it to support his, his brothers, his colleagues, his peers, people that he cares about in his team, his teammates? Is he doing it to support racial discrimination and say, you know what, we need to stamp this out? Or is he doing it because he believes in a socialist movement? a Marxist movement, you know, is is he all for the anarchy? The answer I would say is 99% of those footballers are doing it purely just because they want to stamp out racism. Somebody made an interesting point. They were like, well, if certain footballers don't do it, they'd be thrown to the dogs. And you are right in that respect, Reese, There's a lot of social pressure for people to be involved, but I wouldn't want to be the white player that doesn't kneel and then has to explain that to his black teammates because – I do feel like the media is responsible for not allowing us to separate the two. One is a political organization with an agenda. The other is we just want to end discrimination. That's what taking you know, the knee is. We, me and Becky made a video a long time ago about Raheem Sterling. Could he be the next Colin Kaepernick? And could Raheem Sterling um, implement social change? And Raheem Sterling started doing it. Marcus Rashford started doing it. And I've said before, I don't apply pressure on footballers to be role models certain populars, if they chose not to do it i'd respect it but i wouldn't want to have to answer then to my black colleagues in a changing room i feel like the media manipulated so much and they throw so many layers on it and then people that are genuinely racist will turn around and they'll try and use words like marxist and socialist and socialism to justify their narrative whereas if you unpeel all the layers and just strip it back it's just ending discrimination. And that's I get why sort of certain Millwall fans boo to a degree, but if you're then gonna boo that, don't don't then clap the black players on your team because you're gonna make them feel a certain way about that. Because again, they're not gonna be able to distinguish what you're saying. So it is a complex such subject. And and I'm not against people having an opinion, but I think we do need to strip
1: it back more. I think Les Ferdinand made a comment. Um, And and he said that they wouldn't take the knee at QPR um, more because of the fact that it's now a gesture that has lost its meaning. Mm -hmm. And I would just say, I acknowledge that view. That's coming from a black man um, in sport and the challenges that they face that we can understand. Um, And so I I wouldn't like to shoot it down. You know, people can have their own view on it. Personally, that's not the way that I look at it. Um, and I don't know if the Millwall fans were necessarily booing the players taking the knee, more trying to make a point about the act itself. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it can be debated all night. Yeah,
0: it's a really interesting debate. What I will say is, just on behalf of footballers, you know, they're human beings too, and they're the ones that are on in the kind of in the firing line in that respect. If you don't want footballers to be a role model, don't get on at them about taking a knee. Because the same people that will turn around and say to you and go, well, they're role models, they shouldn't be doing X, Y, or Z, they should be doing A, B, and C. When they actually try and be a role model and say, well, we want to end discrimination, people turn around and go, oh, that's too political for me now. I mean, I want you to be a role model. I just don't want you to be that much of a role model. Or the role model you're being doesn't suit my political agenda. You can't have it both ways, unfortunately.
1: Yeah, I think think the problem is, isn't it, that... The whole thing is is there to be confrontational, because people need to educate themselves, and with a lot of white men, um, especially, um, being told that the things that you do are racist when you don't believe them to be racist, it, it can it can anger you and frustrate you being hard mm. with that brush. Yeah. Um, and I think to an extent, there is a certain, um, there is a certain uh, fiction behind it because some of the stuff should be okay and, and isn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but because people construe it that way, um, they think that these movements label them as, uh, as the racists, as they are the problem. But I think it is more about trying to educate for true equality that we don't understand. And that is what white privilege is. Yeah.
0: Well, do you know what? I think football, Reese. you made a very interesting point there about the symbol itself of taking a knee, losing its meaning. I think moving moving forward, we, we can't take a knee forever, right? That can't go on before every single game until the end of time. At some point, that's going to stop and we need to implement real change. Because that taking a knee is so close to the black lives matter movement and the issues that come with black lives matter because you have you know people saying defund the police in certain areas and you have people saying okay i want to toss this statue into the river because it represents something that i don't represent i get again why that would completely frustrate your average working class person they're just banging their head against the wall going why am i seeing this when football is my release but the gesture itself now, in order for racism to be taken more seriously, I think we need to move away from taking taking a knee. I hate to call it taking their knee, taking a knee, because Colin Kaepernick started it, and me and Becky, as I say, we did our venue on it, to, um, to highlight injustices within the black and brown communities in America. And it was a very valid point, and you know I think the message has been relayed. Um, I I do think we need to advance in it now, and I'd like to get people's opinions in the comments as well. You know we're not, you know we're not saying anybody's right or wrong. We have our opinions on it. Um, you know if you do want to um, discuss it with us, yeah, you know smash that like button, put it in the algorithm, we'll get more people involved. And you know if you're in the comments, we'll discuss it with you. But yeah, I mean moving forward, Reese, obviously your take on it. Do you think there's a particular gesture that would work moving forward now instead?
1: Hard isn't it because again, as a white man, it is hard to know what would be symbolic for a black man. I mean, do you? I mean, there was the whole George Floyd thing, and the footballers mm-hmm. started lifting their tops to um, to, you know, say to highlight the injustices of those cases. I think, like you said, the tick in the, tick in the knee gesture will stop, and something will trigger it again, mm-hmm. now, there'll be another. There'll be another injustice somewhere, and something else will start, and it's really hard to foresee what that is. I mean, I guess they're taking. It's not about the gesture. I think the gesture is designed to try and trigger something bigger, and I think that the education in in the FA, especially the promotion of um, you know, BAME, you know, BAME coaches, things things will need to be taken for that to, to for that to stop. Um, you know. I don't think footballers will necessarily get bored of it, like you said, because of the social pressure of being labelled a racist
0: Yeah, education is key and above all else as well, context is key, so yeah, we uh, we look forward to people's comments below get at us and let us know your opinions on it and uh, yeah, we'll certainly discuss it further and no doubt we'll end up discussing it again. Um, but going back to the Premier League lads, uh, just to sort of round it off, the current top four versus uh, the top four that we picked. Now I picked a very generic top four, from what I gather. I think it was uh, Liverpool, Man City, and I think it was Spurs and Chelsea that I picked to be my top four. Um, it's not too dissimilar to what's there now. Admittedly, United have sort of creeped in, which I didn't think they would do, and Everton have sneaked in as well. But do you see any changes, lads, regarding the top four this season? You know, Vecchi, I'll start with you. Do you think there'll be a surprise candidate in there?
2: Um, it depends on, on what you class as a surprise, but um I you know, we we've, we've all mentioned Liverpool, City, Chelsea, um, United, I think were the sort of main names that were thrown about. Um I know I, I think my top four prediction was City United, Liverpool, Chelsea, mm-hmm. um, which I was laughed at then. Um, I referenced recent his, um tweet um tweet his message in the WhatsApp group, I think it was yesterday he said just a few weeks ago and you said United would finish second um and i just found it funny because there's a long way to go and, and you know many teams can still climb and fall but you know United they've got a tough run of fixtures coming up but should they win their game in hand they will sit second um which you know for at least of the time being makes my original prediction you know not not far off at all but um, I, I, the only one for me, I think could break it is um, Spurs um, and the Mourinho. They've had two bad results now back to back, but he he does have that about him where he he could guide them top four, Leicester possibly. But I think they will they'll fall away similar to last season. But um, Liverpool, it doesn't really look like they're going to be stopped um, because nobody can really string any proper results together to derail them and. They had that period where they've had so many bad injuries. you know. And we've been saying for the last 18 months, so what happens if Van Dijk is injured? What happens if so-and-so gets injured? And they've all been injured. And what everybody's been asking for has happened. But no other team, not a City, not a Chelsea, United, nobody can seem to take advantage of it. So um, I see Liverpool with their, their most of their injuries um, staying at the top. I think after that, it's kind of anybody's guess, really. Um, you I did can, you know, can they keep their results going? Me and Reese were talking earlier, their next four games, I believe, are um, is it Wolves, um, Leicester, Villa, and Liverpool. You know, those are four fixtures that could really make or break their sort of top four, any sort of title contention hopes. But um, it's definitely more, more interesting and more competitive at the moment than we first predicted, I think.
1: Yeah. yeah, I think trying to predict the the top four. I don't think that that is really changed at all from the start of the season. Um, reason being is we're thirteen games into a thirty-eight game campaign, and and with the top teams, you know, you'd have to say there's seven or eight teams who are in contention for the top four. The way it's turned out with Everton staking a claim, um, and obviously Leicester showing form. So with those teams. That league has yet to really level itself out and eventually it will settle into a pattern where the teams who, you know, second, third and fourth are regularly beating teams in the lower half of the table. That hasn't happened yet and it will happen because it happens every season. Teams will perform, form together and all of a sudden there will be a clear distinction between the top four, top five and the rest of the league. Um, and then it'll be easier to look at who is going to be there or thereabouts at the end of the season a note on Manchester United it is possible of course it is possible that they will continue what they are doing and, and, and that will go to the end of the season and, you will achieve, and, and, and that they will achieve um, a good result but I'll apply the same logic that I mentioned about Steve Bruce um, to Manchester United and that is that from what the performances that I've seen from Manchester United extremely frail in defence um, and I don't think that, that can continue I think that when the results stop coming the luck would run out. And I think if we look at a week, uh, over a seven-day period, United um, lost to Arby Leipzig. They had a good draw at home to Manchester City and they came back to beat uh, Southampton 3-2. But that could have easily gone, Southampton went 2-0, knocked out to Europe, Man City win, win at Old Trafford. And then Oli could have been sacked. Which goes to show you just how... Um so, uh, how no. margins are fine. Yeah, the margins are fine, yeah. Um I, I, and and the, the situation can change with any club at any moment. Um Man City have been they've they've been underwhelming. They haven't been great, but we we know with Man City, Aguero could come fit. Um and they could dial it in. At any moment, they could go on a six, seven game winning run. They could be they could be the centurions overnight. It could happen. Um and that could happen with any club. Tottenham, they've been, over, they've been overachieving um, and they've had these bad results. Are they going to be able to come back from it or is that, the, is that them toppling down now? Is that the, the league starting to even itself out, starting to level out? We don't know. And so I don't think my predictions have changed. I don't think Becky's uh, predictions have changed and I don't know if yours have.
0: I am looking at Leicester, and I think Leicester um, are a very good shout If they can keep the large majority of their squad fit, if they can get past this kind of um, this Christmas period and still be in contention for the top four, a lot of it will depend on how they do in the Europa League. You know, if they go a little bit further, they might struggle to get in the top four. But I think if you see Leicester come out to the Europa League relatively quickly, um, they've shown, especially against Spurs the other day, I would not have predicted that result. And, um, you know, Leicester on the day are as good as anybody. They'll give anybody a game.
1: And as well that uh, Ricardo Pereira has been out and pretty me. much their form crashed when he when he got injured. And he's done yeah. back over the Christmas period. That's well, and DD's
0: back as well now too. And DD I think, made 17 recoveries um, against Spurs. So he's crucial to everything they do. So Leicester would be my shout to keep an eye out for them because there'll be no pressure on Leicester. There's no expectation People are looking at your Manchester United, your Man City's. That's where the real pressure lies. Leicester could easily put a run of you know ten wins together and and, and solidify top four. So I think, yeah, my mine stay in the same bar. Leicester, I think Leicester might sneak in. What are you saying, though, lads? You keeping yours the same?
1: You have to. The way the, the way the league has been, the way coronavirus the pandemic has been, anything can happen at any time. Um, and so until the, until the league levels itself off, it's really hard to make predictions
0: very very true
1: lads is there anything else you want to run by uh, before we tie this up I mean uh, James you made a good point to me earlier on Um, you asked the question is it fair with everything that's going on um, that some teams are allowed fans in and some teams are not Um, and that is right across the EFL um, Mm. as well as it is the Premier League so I just wanted to get your opinion on how things are going with you know, fans who are allowed to go back to the stadium, how how you think those are going, and and what your opinion is on some stadiums having it and some stadiums not.
2: Go on, Spoon. Let's air you this one
1: first. It's hard because
0: I want normality to get back as soon as possible. And I want people that see football as their saviour uh, and footballers almost like their crutch to go to be able to go and enjoy it again. So I'm conflicted because I understand, in the interest of fairness, that if you're, you know, a relegation threatened side and you've got two or three thousand fans in there every week, and another relegation threatened side has zero fans, you're going to have a significant advantage over them. We've seen already the, the sort of the advantage fans have. So, in that respect, I, I'm not really with it, but at the same time, Football has helped carry us in particular, us three, through this lockdown, through this pandemic. It's give us content, it's give us games, it's give us joy. It gives you something to look forward to. And for a lot of people, football is a big part of their normal routine. And I hate to take that away from them again if the opportunity is there. So I don't know, lads, to be honest with you. I mean, from a moral standpoint, from a footballing moral standpoint, I would say the answer is to have everybody on a level playing field and and if, you know if nobody can have if well you can't have one without the other, so to speak, but then from a human moral standpoint, I think well you know if 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 going to watch West Brom Fulham is what's keeping this guy going this week and maybe stopping him from doing something stupid, how do I say I don't want that to happen do you know it's a, it's a mixed bag
2: yeah, and um. The thing is, with me, it's it depends which side of the coin you look at, isn't it? It's the you mentioned the well, I brought up to Reece the Is it fair? Um, it's not consistent. Uh, some teams are getting an advantage over other teams when, in any other area, you'd say, you know, you'd argue, well, that's not consistent. That's not fair. But then you look at the financial side of it. There's some clubs that, are right, it's only two thousand fans, but some of the um, clubs towards the bottom end of the Premier League. Um, you know the the money that they get from two thousand fans, you know, could help make a difference. And mm. if they're in a an area of the country where um, the the conditions aren't as bad and they're allowed to have fans in, and then you take that away from them, they you know they probably turn around and say, well, well, that's not fair on us. You know, it's yeah. the mm-hmm. conditions are, are around us mean that we're we're allowed to welcome fans in, and and that's a big help to us. And you know, you mentioned the not just the financial side and what it does for people who. Um, have been have been begging to get this sort of normality back. It's you know, you you think that that was then unfair. Um, mm. So it it really is one of those arguments, isn't it? It depends on on which side you're on. Um, if you're supporting of a club that isn't allowed fans, then obviously you're going to be against it. Um, but then if you're if you're supporting of a club that has fans, then you're going to be all for it. So um, Reese made a good point the other day. Certain, I don't know which club it was, Reese, but they managed to put all their 2,000 fans socially distanced into one stand. So um, which you then ask the question, if you're able to put them into one stand and socially distance them, could they not have more in stadiums and, and socially distance them, you know? So it's... There, there's there's loads of little things you can look at. Why can't they do this? Why can't they do that? But I think at the moment, a lot of people are starting to raise questions about the inconsistency. I
1: think yeah. the way that i do it, and I mean... I, I'm a Newcastle fan, and as a, you know, as a you know, Welsh person, I'm a Swansea fan. And I think the best way to try and view it is on a, a simple level, trying to compare it to the other walks of life that, that exist. The obvious thing to point out is if you have fans, you've got an advantage. And where some fans, where some teams can't have fans, then they will never have that advantage. And that is a really simple way of looking at it, and it's correct. But if we compare that to some of the forms of society, um, pubs, for example, some pubs aren't allowed to open because they're in parts of the country where it is not safe. And does that mean to say that I'm going to go to Liverpool and shut all the pubs down there just because people in the southeast can't go to the pub? Those businesses would suffer. Um, And the people who rely on those places to get their you know frustrations out like you said Spooner they're not going to be able to have that outlet and that's not fair if you had medicine in some parts of the country and not others you would give it to the people who needed it in that part of the country and you just have to say well it's tough on the people who aren't in that part of the country and and unfortunately that is the most simple way of looking at it we can't please everyone but we can please some people and in this time the most important thing is mental health and you know and public safety and Unfortunately, this, these measures satisfy both. Um, and and it is, it's tough, but that's the way it is. Yeah,
0: yeah, it's a really interesting discussion again, obviously, to everybody that's watching. Get in the comments below and let us know. Um, but we'll, uh, we'll wrap this up. Obviously, we've got our transfer videos coming out now. Um, we're going to try and start tomorrow uh, dropping one a day. So we are going to be uh, flooding you with content over the next sort of two weeks. So whether you know you're a top six fan and there's a few clubs that we sort of scattered outside that as well, keep your eyes peeled because there's some um, some really good videos coming up and I imagine they'll do a lot of views. Um, but for now, you know, smash the like button, subscribe, get in the comments below. We will be back next time and uh, we'll see you then, people. Take care.